his legacy, I think, went up today after after that block, right? Like, it, it's so weird in a game where he has one of the worst playoff offensive performances of his career. He's viewed positively because of the defensive impact he had. It's just really confusing to me, like, in hindsight. And even then, like, looking into the series, I think the biggest thing for the Thunder was how will you, how will you utilize Adams like that that question and also can the Thunder shoot on par with the Rockets were the two big questions shoot on par for the most part actually yeah they did in some games in this game they did hello hello and welcome to another episode of the locked in podcast my name is Ani my name is Shree and boy, oh boy, did we have some great Game 7s in the first round of the Western Conference playoffs. The NBA is really on point with its playoff games. They're all super great. We'll be talking about those two Game 7s first. Then we'll be getting into the Eastern Conference playoffs. How both the number 1 and number 2 seed in the Eastern Conference Finals are down 2-0. And then we'll be getting into what the rest of the Western Conference playoffs look like. A very NBA-centric show for you guys today. But first, some shout-outs. My boy Rohan is turning 22, so I just wanted to wish him a huge happy birthday. Hope you are enjoying your time in quarantine and being productive at work and then just doing whatever the hell you want the rest of the day. So happy birthday, buddy. All right, let's move on. Let's talk OKC first because... That game was kind of what, it was the Nuggets Jazz game, but just better, right? Because what was the the main thing characterizing that Jazz game was both teams just missing open shots. Like great defense, no doubt, but there was a lot of missed opportunities down the stretch for both of those teams. Here, it seemed like both teams just had players making plays left and right. CP3 was surgical as usual, you know, dishing out. I'll get to Dort later, but the I, one play I remember is just he drove left, kicked out to SGA for a wide open corner three to put the Thunder up one late in the fourth. But, you know, the story of the game was Lou Dort versus James Harden. You have this undrafted rookie coming out of nowhere, you know, national spotlight, first round of the playoffs, guarding James Harden. Missed the first two games of the series, but boy, oh boy, this guy took over the series from a defensive standpoint. I know he struggled with the shot games three, four, a little bit of game five, but made up for it in a way that I've never seen someone guard James Harden the way Lou Dort guarded James Harden. And this game, he was unconscious from three-point land, man. He could not miss from three. Tell me a little about Lou Dort and what you saw from him. He did miss from three. He missed half his shot attempts from three. But what I will say is Lou Dort bounced back. We all knew how good he was defensively from the first time he guarded James Harden in Game 3 of this series. He really put the clamps on James Harden in general. James Harden did not score that much compared to his series average. I think his series average was around 30 coming into this game. He only scored 17. Uh, was very not efficient. 4 for 15 field goals. 1 for 9 three-point land. So Lou Dort really put the clamps on James Harden defensively, but offensively he stepped up. I was watching the game and was just so surprised that Lou Dort of all people on the Thunder... When in game six and game five, he did not play very well offensively. So much so that the the Rockets would essentially leave him open on three. Just play four-man defense and be okay with Dort taking the three. Uh, You know, just really challenge Dort to make shots. And in game seven, when he really needed to, for the most part, he made the shots down the stretch. And throughout the game, he shot 10 for 21 from, from, from the field, 6 for 12 from three. 30 points, the leading scorer on Thunder by far. Nobody else even eclipsed 20. So just, you know, really, really good stuff by Lou Dort. I think defensively, he played great. But offensively, he really, really, really stepped it up. You know, game five, he shot he had, he had shot 0% from three. He only had six points. And even game seven, he shot 33% from three. 13 points so compared to his previous performances nine points in game four nine points in game three really went off and i think for the most part you know we'll talk about the last play in the last five minutes of this game which were pretty crazy even by playoff standards but i think lou dort really kept them alive in this game and without him the thunder could not have have gotten the lead towards the end although they gave it up and they could not have come close to at least tying slash winning the game 
I was telling someone this earlier, but if Lou Dort is even half the offensive player that he displayed, he could be today. That's a huge win for Oklahoma City moving forward for the future. Because you know he's going to make all defensive teams. He's going to be a perennial candidate to be on one of those two teams the rest of his career. If he averages like 12, 13, 14 points, that's that wing, that like third option wing scorer that OKC's just never had. Because you know they have their guards. They're all lethal. I mean, we don't know what Chris Paul is going to do next year, whether he's going to be back with OKC, another team. But, you know, SGA, Schroeder... And possibly Chris Paul, that's a lethal trio. You have Gallinari, who, quiet this game, had a big miss at the free throw line late in the game. But he's generally been dependable as a scoring option. Now you add Lou Dort to that, that's a lethal lineup. And I think Lou Dort did what Steven Adams did not do. And that was take advantage of the Rockets disrespecting you, right? When you're Steven Adams and you're 6'10", 6'11", just a big body... And you can't post up P.J. Tucker. It's it's an unplayable scenario, right? Like the, the, All the OKC lineups that had positive net ratings did not have Adams in it this series. And what Dort did, he handled disrespect the right way. When you leave a guy like six, seven feet to shoot a three, you're a pro for a reason. You're going to take the shot. You're going to make the shot. And he did that in game seven and was huge. But the story was that last play coming out of the timeout. OVC had a chance to win the game. And there was there was some insanity leading up to that. Uh, Ani, talk about Harden's block. The block heard around the world. Kind of confirming the fact that James Harden plays good defense. I know people haven't thought that a lot. But the last two, three years, he's really made like a concerted effort to try on the defensive end. Tell me about the block. Yeah, James Harden surprisingly plays good defense, especially when it really comes down to it. And I don't don't think that's really a surprise. You know, James Harden, one of the best players in the league, puts an effort towards the end of the game when it matters. Like, that shouldn't be a surprise. No matter who the player is, they put an effort. But really, this time, James Harden put an effort towards the end. Lou Dort has the ball, shooting a three. And, you know, it's not the most wide-open look, but there is a bit of space between him and Harden. I thought he was going to get the shot off at least. And Lou Dort, you know, at that point was 50% from the three. And I thought, there's a good chance this ball maybe goes in. We will see. But Harden comes up in the clutch, blocks that shot. The ball basically about to go out of bounds. And there's some scrambling in the air. Essentially, the ball lands back in. Dort tries to throw the ball out. Uh, Harden, great reflexes, jumps over the ball or like spreads his legs and the ball goes through him. Replay determined that actually the ball was out. When after Harden blocked the shot, Dort, while trying to save the ball, uh, ended up stepping out. So it was basically an out-of-bounds play, which really saved the Thunder. That was somehow like the best thing that could have happened to the Thunder. Because instead of the Rockets having the ball with 0.4 seconds left, the Thunder had the, uh, the Rockets had the ball with 1.4 seconds left. That one second was really critical for the Thunder to, uh, to, to at least you know foul and get another chance to shoot the ball. Yeah, they put 2.6 back on the clock, so they had time for, you know, two fouls and then potentially yeah. a series-winning play, but it didn't happen. Yeah, I-, I was really surprised, honestly, leading up to that. They had two timeouts, and with around six, seven seconds left, it was pretty clear that, like, what it wasn't going for that. There was no shot clock. I thought they should have called a timeout, and we saw after the ball went out of bounds, Chris Paul lobbied to the official saying, hey, call a timeout. That was obviously nonsense. We know Chris Paul's up to all sorts of no good sometimes. But I thought they should have called a timeout. I really thought that that timeout would have saved them from basically everything. They could have drawn up another play. But, you know, looking back at it, considering essentially what happened after uh, those two fouls and then the Rockets' free throws was the, the, the Thunder had a chance to tie the game or actually win the game. They're only down by two, I believe, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're only down by two, and they had two out-of-bounds plays and had to call two ti- or one timeout um, to it, to basically, like, and then it, it didn't work out. The the ball got intercepted. There was some, for some reason, they were passing the ball to Steven Adams with 1.4 seconds left. No idea why the ball was going to Steven Adams of all people. Maybe just to get the ball in, not get a five-second violation. But, you know, maybe if the Thunder did call that timeout when they had seven, eight, nine seconds left and that wasn't working out before Dort shot, they wouldn't have gone through with it anyways. Like the, the Rockets were playing tremendous defense down the stretch and basically not letting the uh, the the Thunder inbound the ball to run a play. And again, that that last play, one point four seconds left, and you'll like I, I saw on Twitter a bunch of screenshots. 
the paint was wide open. All Steve Nattis had to do was run towards the basket. But for some reason, he came back out to sort of catch a curl. Dude, you're a center. You're not you're not Serge Ibaka who can shoot like a jump shot. You're you're Steven Adams. You don't shoot that well from that distance. Why are you the person trying to catch the ball? But, you know, props to the Thunder, props to Russell Westbrook and for Eric Gordon, uh, you know, for both putting a hand out, getting the ball away from Steven Adams and really clinching the win for the Rockets. I think the intention with giving it to Adams there was they were going to run some sort of handoff where he caught it. And then it, it was like the last option for that play, right? Like, no, none of the shooters came open. I know Gallo was trying to get open, but the Rockets had two guys like jut out at him. So he wasn't open and all the other shooters were just really well covered. So I think they were just going to get it into Adams and then SGA might have like drifted to the side, like a little toss for a three. Didn't work out. It was great defense by Houston. Crazy that in a day where Harden goes four, four or 15 from the field and has, you know, he said in the post game, like he had a really terrible offensive performance. And one of the few times like he's been so open in an interview like that, his legacy, I think, went up today after after that block, right? Like it's so weird in a game where he has one of the worst playoff offensive performances of his career. He's viewed positively because of the defensive impact he had. Yeah, I think Harden definitely gets a lot of pause for his defense. And I think at the same time, he admitted he wasn't that good down the stretch offensively. And you saw that he wasn't taking all the shots down the stretch. He allowed his teammates to help him out. And his teammates definitely did help him out. But I think really the story of this series was, especially this Game 7, Robert Covington versus Steven Adams. And essentially the inability for the Thunder to get good matchups with Steven Adams and the ability, surprisingly, of Robert Covington to kind of shut down Steven Adams in some sense. You know, you see the Rockets' small ball offensive lineup and you're thinking, oh yeah, you know, this Thunder team with Steven Adams and, you know, Gallinari is going to absolutely dominate them. And, you know, the the Rockets don't have any centers on their team whatsoever. The Thunder have both Steven Adams and Noel. Neural's Noel. So you're thinking, oh yeah, the rebounding advantage will be, you know, plus 10, plus 15, maybe even plus 20. In this game, the Rockets grabbed 46 rebounds. Sorry, the, the Thunder grabbed 46 rebounds and the Rockets grabbed 44. That was a plus two differential for the Thunder, who clearly, you know, from, from a perspective of rebounding, they have an actual center. They have someone who plays the center position. The center for the, the Rockets is Robert Covington. So you're matching up Robert Covington on Steven Adams. You're expecting Steven Adams to get 15, 20 rebounds. He didn't even, he, he, he got nine rebounds. Chris Paul got more rebounds than Steven Adams. Granted, Steven Adams didn't get four offensive rebounds. So, you know, good for him for doing his job, I guess. But Robert Covington had that paint locked down in a sense, as locked down as you can be for, you know, being essentially a small forward guarding a center. And I was really surprised how the Thunder did not attack the paint, give the ball to Steven Adams more. Granted, Covington was playing really good defense, but it was just overall really, really confusing to me that the Thunder didn't exploit the hell out of that matchup. And with Covington, like he's one of those analytics guys that a lot of these NBA nerds really love, right? Like he has pretty good three-point percentage. He plays great defense. All his metrics show that he is a good defender. And he slots into any offensive system really well. And he will... There, there's no there's no team where I think Robert Covington's a bad fit and it really showed today like you said because one the Thunder just don't run a lot of offense through Adams you know there's those post players where you can give them the ball and they'll make a play like Embiid, Jokic, even Cat to an extent just because of how prolific he is on the offensive side but with Adams he's he, he he can't make those advanced passing reads that a lot of these big men are starting to become more competent at. Let me add Bam to that list of players who you can just absolutely run an offense through. But with Adams, there's always just these handoffs and his primary utility in the OKC offense is of a screener. And when he's setting screens and these guards are slashing to the rim, sometimes he'll just get bogged down by the, like the sheer number of bodies and he won't be able to grab those offensive rebounds that we've become so accustomed to seeing him get in these games. And is it me or does Adams just always tip balls? Like, I never see him grab rebounds the way other big men do. Like, sometimes it works. Sometimes it's great for OKC. They can reset their offense. Other times it's like, dude, if you grab the ball, the possession resets and you give your team another shot. But he kind of just unlocks fast breaks for the other teams by mistake sometimes. So I don't know. I thought Steven Adams was just super unplayable in this series. It's tough for him because he's a great guy. Everyone loves him. 
He's a very good defensive player. He has some value on offense as a screener and a lob threat, but against a team like the Rockets where just everything is haywire and it's small ball, three-point shooting, there's not a lot he could do in this series. I, I think offensively, for, from the Rockets' standpoint, Adams matches up really badly in the sense that Adams can't really guard anyone when the Rockets are on offense because they're all spaced out. They're all basically at the three-point line. Not many people are guarding in, and even when James Harden does guard, you know, drive in or, or, or Russell Westbrook does drive in, they are two of the best at getting those calls from the refs to shoot those free throws. And we saw James Harden today go 8 for 9 from the free throw line. So, you know, he, he played his usual game of, you know, although he did only, he shot terribly, only made four of his 15 attempts, he really did a good job drawing those fouls like he usually does. So it's really risky for someone like Adams. You kind of want him into the game. You want him into the game. So he, he didn't have any fouls, surprisingly. But you don't want him to get in foul trouble by you know going hard at Russell Westbrook or James Harden, and he's used to seeing what Hart, what what Westbrook is like on offense because you know he played alongside him for so so many years. But yeah, I, I totally agree with you that they don't in general run a lot of the offense by him. Uh, it's just with, with Chris Paul as your your primary ball handler, more of a traditional point guard than Russell Westbrook. I'm still surprised that they didn't utilize. Adams more it's just really confusing to me like in hindsight and even then like looking into the series I think the biggest thing for the Thunder was how will you how will you utilize Adams like that that question and also can the Thunder shoot on par with the Rockets were the two big questions shoot on par for the most part actually yeah they did in some games in this game they did but in general they did not utilize Stephen Adams at all I think that was their downfall I think that was the biggest piece to why the, the Rockets won, but a very strange game indeed. Fourth quarter, last few minutes, crazy. That those last one point four seconds of the game, like like the actual one point four seconds taken down on the clock, took mm-hmm. fourteen minutes. Yeah. So, like the last few seconds of the game, essentially took twenty minutes, and I was just watching and waiting and watching and waiting, and there was replay after replay and timeout after timeout, and it was just crazy. Well, you know what? With, uh, with Scott Foster, James Harden, Chris Paul and the Rockets in general, there's going to be some craziness with the officiating and kind of showed itself today. There was a lot of conspiracy theories that because Rockets games aren't shown in China because of the Daryl Morey Hong Kong comments, that Scott Foster is going to try and rig the game against the Rockets and make the Thunder win. I think if he that was his intention, he could have done a better job. Uh, he did not do that. And the Rockets are advancing to face the Lakers in the next round, which we'll talk about in a bit. I wanted to touch on a Westbrook thing because we didn't really talk about Russell Westbrook in this game. He didn't have his crazy statistical output and he didn't really have a great game. But in those like tense moments where the game was hanging in the balance where, you know, OKC would take a three point lead. Houston would take a two point lead. It just kept swinging back and forth when Harden wasn't hitting shots as he did most of this game. He just did not make shots. But when Harden wasn't really engaged in the game Westbrook was taking the challenge of getting to the rim every single time posting up Schroeder posting up SGA you know those like classic angled bank shots he hit a couple of those in key moments where it felt like things were getting out of hand so I I I know people love slandering Westbrook and after last game deservedly so he played a terrible game six but I think he he kept them in the game until chaos happened so I don't know. That, that's my Westbrook thing for this game. He didn't play terribly. Only two turnovers. Shot 9 for 20 from the field. But, you know, still, I, I agree with you. He, I'm not going to say he fully redeemed himself because, you know, he's supposed to be one of the best players in the league. And he's a former reigning MVP. But he didn't he didn't have a statistical output. Again, only two assists, which is crazy. It's Westbrook. He's seventh all-time on like in, in, in the NBA in assists. But... I think he did a good enough job for the Rockets to win the game. That's all that matters. It's so crazy that you brought up the assist. You know, I read a stat the other day on Twitter. Guess how many times Westbrook has assisted Harden this season? Just just pick a number. Nine. 35 in a season. He has assisted James Harden only 35 times. I don't know if that's more of an indication of how much iso ball Harden plays or how much the offense runs through Harden or just... I, I don't know. That's just, I can't even say anything logical about that stat. That's low, isn't it? It's low, but I mean, if you watch the Rockets play, it really makes sense. Over the course of a season, 35 times, I, I'm pretty sure like Covington assisted Harden more or Harden assist. Like, no, just, just the way the Rockets are set up. 
you're right. Harden is the primary playmaker, and he's the one that has the ball most often. Most of his points are scored through ISO, but even if not, when other people are passing to Harden, it's rarely ever Westbrook. It's rarely ever Westbrook passing to Harden. It's really Harden passing to Westbrook, Westbrook driving, kicking out to someone else, and that person kicking back to Harden who makes a three. So it's like, I think Russ, I think Russ would have a lot more hockey assists. I think he would have like a decent number of hockey assists mm-hmm. to, to Harden. But I think in pure assists, not that many because you don't see Westbrook passing back to Harden that often because Harden's usually at the top of the key. And when Westbrook's driving in or when Westbrook's getting ready to shoot, he usually ends up passing back to someone else who passes to Harden. Yeah, that, I don't know. Something about that stat just didn't sit. I don't even know if it sat well with me, didn't sit well with me. It was just strange. So that doesn't make that's, sense. That's all I have to say about Russell Westbrook and the Rockets. Congrats to them for moving on. I'm disappointed OKC didn't advance, but Rockets-Lakers will be fun, and we'll get to that later on. But let's move on to the other Game 7 that happened. And this really reminded me of like early 2000s basketball. You know, Pistons-Spurs, Pistons versus any team coming out of the East. It was just rugged. Like, it was a tough watch at some times. But that, like, both teams missing shots. Jamal Murray had a very off game. Jokic really carried that team throughout the game. Like, he was making shots that no one else was hitting. Like, he was battling Gobert. I know both of them got into some foul trouble. It was... It really was the two bigs dominating the matchup for a lot of the game, which was such a refreshing change. Because I know... We've been seeing so much outside shooting, especially in the bubble where it seems like everyone hits their shots all the time. But this was Gobert versus Jokic with Murray and Mitchell, you know, coming in later and adding their usual flair and brilliance. But I really like watching this game. The missed shots added so much tension down the stretch and insane baby hook, whatever you want to call it, from Jokic to end the game over Gobert. Tough shot. And... We'll get to the final sequence later, but Ani, you, I told you when when this game happened, I messaged you. You know, oh, that was one of the best games I've seen. It may, if not, maybe one of like if not the best this season from a purely like the stakes, the teams involved, the, some of the players and the storylines. Like, you, but you disagreed. Yeah, for me, the only reason why was that six minute stretch when the Nuggets could not score. It was in the fourth quarter. The Nuggets straight up had like a six-minute stretch where they really could not score. They were saved by a Murray miss that Jokic rebounded and ended that and tied the game at like 72 or something. It was really... The fourth quarter was just... You you say it reminded you of old-school basketball when we were kids and the score of games used to be like 78 to 80. That was normal. It reminded me of that in some ways, and I think the defense was pretty good, but at the same time, there was like both teams played so sloppily in the fourth quarter that the Jazz only scored 18 points. The Nuggets only scored 15 points the entire fourth quarter. That is ridiculous to me. Like in today's NBA standards, that just doesn't make sense. And so to actually only score 30 points the entire second half, uh, they scored 15 in the, in the third, 15 in the fourth. So they really get, let Utah get back into it, which, again, they they didn't play that good defense to let Utah get back into it being up by that much. But I was just really, really surprised by how Murray and Mitchell didn't necessarily perform. They came through towards the end. Uh, Murray hit that, that nice bang shot, and he also hit a layup, and Mitchell also hit a few shots towards the end. But I think the story with the Nuggets, and one thing that really surprised me personally after looking into it, it was kind of subconsciously was like, oh yeah, Jokic is one of the clutchest players in the league. In in November of 2019, he had already hit six game-winning shots in the past year. So like in the 2018-2019 season, he had hit six game-winning shots. And this time he had a game-winning shot. I know he had a few more this, this season. He's one of the clutch performers in this league. He was the reason that the Nuggets were able to pull themselves out of that hole when they hadn't scored in six and a half minutes. And he is the reason why they won this game. And people don't give Jokic the credit he deserves. He's one of the better players in this league. Fringe top 10 of player in the league candidate right now For in some people's eyes. Definitely a top 15 player in the league. And definitely a top you know, 5-6 clutch player in the league. If not top 3. Like the stats by its, themselves in the past few years speak 
for themselves. You know, like he's so good in the clutch. What do you have to say about Jokic? I think he's an outright top 10 player. Just what, what he does on offense is so dynamic. And you know, people people like the flashy assists and that part of his offensive game is flashy. But his scoring is so unorthodox. Like he just looks like he's struggling every time he has to put up a bucket. And he has a he has a pretty nice stroke from three. Like he's he's not at that percentage where you would consider him like a very efficient three-point shooter, but he definitely has a shot. And this last this game winner he hit against Utah was he just backed down Gobert, didn't seem like he was getting anywhere, gave him a little fake and just threw up a shot you know it's one of those shots where you're with your homies playing 21 and it's like 19 19 you're just trying to put up anything to get to that free throw line and clinch the game and I think that's what Jokic did he played a really great game and you know he was the reason the Nuggets were in it but aside from Jokic Gary Harris man like yeah yeah he couldn't buy a bucket this game and he's coming back from injury and just getting reacclimated to playoff basketball but he shut down Donovan Mitchell in that last like two minute sequence on the fourth. Mitchell was struggling to get open. Gary Harris denying the ball was so great. And if there's a reason I'm giving Denver a chance against the Clippers, it's Gary Harris being the X factor. Because if if Gary Harris is not playing, they don't have perimeter defenders to combat Kawhi and Paul George. Now we don't know what version of playoff P or pandemic P. We don't know who's showing up in that series. But at least now they have someone they can stick on one of those two elite wings to give them at least a fighting chance. So let's talk now about the the rest of the Western Conference playoffs, the the two matchups that are incoming for the semifinals. So as you said, we have the Nuggets against the Los Angeles Clippers. That is starting on Thursday, uh, which is technically today. I guess we're we're recording on Thursday morning. Uh, But... Yeah, so that's starting today for us. Uh, and then the other matchup is the Lakers versus the Rockets. So let's first talk about the Nuggets versus the Clippers. We're already talking about that. So I think it's a really interesting matchup. I still think that the Clippers will easily win the series. I, It just, to me, if, if, if the Nuggets have to win, Jokic and Murray have to be playing out of their mind. I think one thing we saw, the, the Clippers against the Mavs is both Luca and Kristaps had to play really, really well for the for the Mavs to have a chance. And I think same thing in this situation, the the Nuggets need to have Jokic and Murray really play out of their mind. And also Michael Porter Jr. Jr. needs to step up. Paul Millsap needs to step up. I don't think this is a terrible matchup for the Nuggets necessarily, but it is not that great because I, I don't really see who on, on their offense would, would match up against Kawhi and Paul George you know we'll see if Paul George is even a factor in this game uh but or in, in the series in general but t- towards the last few games of the, of the math series he really stepped it up so maybe he's sort of, sort of back in his groove he talked about mental health a lot which I think is an underrated aspect of sports and the NBA in general and as always people are making fun of him on Twitter but you know it's really important I think for Paul George good for him in the sense that he found his groove back and is in a better shape mentally and maybe he's gonna Really be playoff P this time, the legit playoff P. If not, though, I still think the Clippers have this in the bag unless Murray and Jokic go off. The key to the series is the minutes when Kawhi's not on the floor. Like, it's the guys like Monte Morris, Torrey Craig, Jeremy Grant. They have to give you those, like, 9, 10 points to supplement what Jokic and Murray already do. And Gary Harris cannot be shooting 1 for 9 again, right? Like, he had so many open 3-point looks. He needs to be making those shots because he's not going to be the primary focus for the Clippers' defense. I don't know if Pat Bev is playing this series or not. If Patrick Beverly is playing Clips in six, if he's not playing, the series goes seven and it's a toss-up for me. Like, I, I I, know he's annoying and I know people hate him and I hate the Clippers except for Kawhi. But, and Lou Will. You, you and Lou Will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Magic City miracle. I can't hate that guy. Dream City. But please tell me I'm getting it right. Magic City, right? It's Magic City. It's Magic yeah, City. yeah, yeah. The thing is, Patrick... It, he is so good on defense. People seem to forget because he's been ha- like dealing with injury and everything. But if he takes the Murray assignment, Jamal Murray is going to average like 15 points in this series. I think Jamal Murray can do that very well by himself as evidenced in the, uh, in the final game of this series. But no, I think for me, it's not even that. I, I don't care if Jamal Murray goes off. 
Jokic also has to go off. But even then, who is going to guard Kawhi? And who is going to guard Paul George? The Nuggets do not have an answer defensively to anything the uh, Clippers throw. And let's say somehow Paul George and Kawhi aren't hitting. Lou Will, we've seen him off the bench, can drop 30, 35, 40. So the, the, the Clippers, we don't seem to think of them as this offensive juggernaut. But, you know, compared to, compared to the matchups, like matchup-wise specifically, they match up really well to the Nuggets. I don't think, even if, even like, I think really Murray has to drop 50 a game, and Kawhi, Paul George, and Lou Will all have to be really off their game, and Jokic also has to drop 20-25. That's the only way the Clippers will win the game, is if the Clippers, or if the Nuggets will win the game. If the Clippers are playing terribly, the Nuggets are playing super well. Other than that, I don't think... This game might be in five, might be in six. I don't think it'll go to seven, even if Patrick Beverly's out. Just it, my opinion. It also really depends on Montrez, right? Because he had he had some family stuff before the first round. Had kind of a rough first round. Like the, the minutes where he did play well were kind of in garbage time. In that one game where the Clippers won by like I think thirty something when Porzingis didn't play. But Montrez needs to be active and I don't know who's gonna be the primary defender on Jokic. Like I think Zubac is gonna end up getting more minutes than Montrez. For each of these games but i don't i think the series will be fun i think people sleep on denver as a team in general like when they were down 3-1 like i said in a chat like oh like utah has the potential to blow this lead like they're not they're not significantly more talented than the nuggets they definitely didn't have more capable playmakers than the nuggets i i think denver is a very good team it's just they're they're young and now three straight game sevens. I don't know. I, I, I for for odd's sake, I'm gonna say this goes to game seven again. I don't know. I I love the Nuggets team. I, they're one of my favorite teams to watch, and I'm always rooting for for everybody on the Nuggets. I love Jamal Murray. I think Jokic is great. Michael Porter Jr. really cool guy. <laughs> is and he is he though? Is Michael Porter Jr. a cool guy? Fantastic basketball player. This is the conspiracy COVID guy. Fine, not that cool of a guy. Really cool basketball player. I just, I like cheering for him because I feel so bad because he's had so many injuries in his career. True. And he's had injuries that for some players just might feel like it's a career ender. Okay, fine. Yeah. I reject my statement. Michael Porter Jr. is not that cool of a guy, but he is a cool basketball player. Yes. Uh, but I, I'm cheering for the Nuggets and I feel bad for the Nuggets. I, I, I used to love the Nuggets teams of the old with like Chauncey Billups and Carmelo Anthony. Great, great franchise. Uh, but just like, I, I sure, they've been to three game sevens in a row. It's the matchup against this team or even the Lakers whoever they're playing is not good I it's just I don't I don't see feasibly how they can like protect the rim because Jokic isn't that good inside if the Clippers decide to drive they don't have that great perimeter defense just like every everything the Clippers are good at the the Nuggets are not but speaking of the Lakers let's move on to the other matchup in the Western Conference semifinals the that Rockets. Was a, that was a terrible transition. I talked about the Lakers a little bit. Okay, just I'm working on it, man. But speaking of the Lakers, Rockets, Lakers, Western Conference semifinals, first game on Friday. I personally think the Rockets were my dark horse contender for to, to make the NBA finals from the West. And uh in my NBA pick'em bracket challenge thing, I put that the Lakers would lose to the Rockets in six. Just because I felt like to, to spice it up a little bit. I, after watching the series against the, the Thunder, I'm not really sure. I honestly think that the, the Rockets look better without Westbrook than with him. Uh, but I don't know. What do you think? Well, excuse me, sorry. There's something in my throat. <coughs> Ugh. The Rockets are going to get smashed this series. I learned my mistake when I said Portland would beat LA in the first round, I made a grave error, right? Because I thought Frank Vogel would not utilize Anthony Davis well in that series. He did. AD destroyed the Blazers. Literally any chance Portland had of an upset was gone the minute AD just posted up. The minute a lot of offense was run through AD, you know, he enabled players like KCP and caruso and all these surrounding guys to actually get open looks and you know we, we talked about steven adams and pj tucker steven adams and robert covington upgrading steven adams to anthony davis in the matchup is brutal for a small ball rockets team and you know la has the guys who can stick with these rockets defense like these rockets 
perimeter-oriented offense, LA has capable defenders. It's not that that's the issue. It's the scoring. And it's really going to come down to the battle of the superstars. Harden and Westbrook versus LeBron and AD. And if you're telling me those four players are deciding the series, I'm going to go with LeBron and Anthony Davis. I'm just laughing because I told you specifically that the Lakers have a competent coaching staff and it will utilize AD. And you somehow didn't believe me. Uh, well, it's because they, at least in the bubble, they didn't use AD the right way. Like, he was slumping, undeniably. He's, he dropped like 43 points one of the games in the bubble. Yeah, but he also had games with 11 and 9. And when you're one of the sixth best players in the league, like, you, you can't be doing that. He didn't need to put in the effort, so he didn't. But yeah, okay, looking back at it now, like, I think the Lakers will win this. But if the Rockets will win, I won't be surprised. Because although the, the Lakers do have good perimeter defense, it's just like if the Rockets just throw up volume shots and they're hitting, I, I don't think that necessarily... I think it'll be a closer series than people give them credit for. People are like, oh, Lakers in four. I think the Rockets will put up a fight. It's, it's hard in a Westbrook man. It has to be Kuzma who like swings the series, whether it's close or not. If Kuzma is averaging like 19, 20 points as your third option, LA wins this in five. If Kuzma shut down and none of the LA guys can get their three-point stroke right, like Danny Green has been a Twitter target for a lot of people, like constructing houses with all the bricks he's been shooting. It's been rough, but you're right. Like if the Rockets just shoot like 63s a game, who is it to say that this series goes like six, maybe seven, Rockets steal it? I don't know. But I just think purely from a matchup standpoint, the Lakers have advantages across the board in this. I'm just laughing at you, Danny Green bricks thing. No, Danny Green has not not stepped up in the way he needs to. KCP did step up after the first game. I don't know. Matchup wise, we'll see. I think it's I think this matchup is way more interesting than the, the Clippers Nuggets. To me, the Clippers Nuggets is pretty open and shut, pretty cut and dry. For the, I think there's like some because we we see two players on the Rockets that have this superstar potential. You not know, potential. Like, like they potential. Are, they Sorry, are not superstar superstars. potential. Not even Hall of Fame potential, but like potential to swing the series to lead them to the Western Conference Finals is what I meant to say. Right. Like it's not like like with, with Murray and Jokic. Like they have to be playing at their all time like greatest in their career to swing this. But like Harden Whisper just have to be themselves. So that's why I think it's a much more interesting matchup. But for the most part, I think the Lakers are gonna win. I don't know. We'll see because there's one thing we've seen from the Eastern Conference is that the one and two seeds aren't safe at all. You know, the the Clippers and the Lakers really have to, you know, like pay attention the entire time. That was a great transition, I know, because both the Celtics and the Raptors are not the Celtics and the Raptors. Sorry, the uh, the Raptors and the Bucks are down two zero. Well, we we can talk about the Bucks game first because Game Two, Bucks Heat was crazy. Game one wasn't all that close. Game two was a lot closer, but just down the stretch, Bucks could not hit a shot to save their life. But Jimmy Butler almost threw that game away twice. Almost with a game away twice. Hey, people saying Jimmy Butler is not a top 12, top 13 player. I think this is the series he's asking everyone to reconsider. Like He is doing it on both ends of the floor. You know, game two, he struggled with the shot, but he didn't need it because his teammates picked him up. Goran Dragic is one of the most underrated players in basketball. This guy has been a scoring machine for Miami. Like, he's that one guard who can just slice and dice, shoot it from three, great passer. Like, any team could use Goran Dragic. He's going to get paid this offseason. And people forget that when he was with Nash, that two-guard line, they, they had a few seasons. I don't know if it was one or two. I don't know how many seasons they played together. Super fun to watch. But, dude, Giannis is the rightful, he will be the MVP, Defensive Player of the Year. He's an all-timer. We all know that. It's concerning for the Bucks that he isn't their crunch time guy. Like, everything runs through Middleton. And I've said many times, I love Chris Middleton. I love his game. But if he's your your primary playmaker and you have the MVP on your team struggling to make free throws and not actively trying to get the ball when you're in a two-point game with like two minutes left, it's that's worrisome for the one seed. I was surprised that the Bucks came back because Bam made a few clutch shots towards the end. I thought, you know, the Heat really iced it and the the Bucks were down a few points. Middleton 
somehow got that call, which I think was a garbage call by the refs. Uh, <laughs> made those three free throws. Then the refs turned around and made another garbage call on the other side. Gave Jimmy Butler two free throws. But I was surprised the Bucks came back to even be within, like, you know, tie the game. Because the, they were struggling so much in the last five, six minutes. They didn't score for like a stretch of two minutes. You know, I don't know what it is with teams not scoring in the fourth quarter when they really need to, but they didn't score at all. And they were down too. It's not like they were up with the with like the Nuggets and the Jazz. You know, the Bucks were down. Like seeing Giannis essentially commit two fouls that went uncalled. First, he pushed Jimmy Butler straight up out of bounds. Straight up pushed him out of bounds. Then he essentially tackled Kelly Olynyk. Didn't get a call on either of them. And the entire time, the entire sequence, the Bucks didn't score a single point. Like George Hill saved the Bucks when he hit that three. That mm-hmm. clutch three, he really saved them. And like, I guess like George Hill's been the leading three point scorer this season for the the entire league in terms of percentage. So like, it's not like he's a bad three point shooter at all. But it's just, yeah. I, I love Giannis. You know, I think the way he plays, crazy, amazing, amazing player. Son is really cute too. But <laughs> it's just like it, it, when the game was like with five minutes left, it's like he. He didn't know what to do. The, the Heat had the clamps on the Bucks. They were playing amazing defense down the stretch. I was so surprised. Because usually you're in your mind, like, oh yeah, it's Giannis. No one ever can stop Giannis. But somehow, like, Bam was playing amazing defense. And the Heat, as a team, were coming together and stopping this Bucks offense that honestly can't shoot that well. It's strange because, you know, they're, they're one of the best three-point shooting teams by percentage throughout the season. And the way they got back into the game was their defense. And they were the best defensive team in the league all year. And they had a few clutch steals. They played the free throw game. And, you know, Jimmy missed one free throw that allowed it to stay a three-point game. And then that was before the terrible Middleton call where Drogic got called for that. But, yeah, the like, Brooke Lopez, I, I he's shown he can hit the three ball. So him taking threes in important moments isn't necessarily the worst thing. It's just, people forget Giannis is so raw still. Like, he's learning the game. He's 25. He's going to be a back-to-back MVP, and he still doesn't have, like, a consistent mid-range jump shot. Right? Like, if if Giannis had Bam's form on a jumper, like, it's over. Like, like Giannis is already so good. But this playoff series is really showing that he's still not that guy. Like, it's so uncanny that the, the LeBron teams from, like, 2009, 2010, you know, where he went back-to-back MVP. This was, like, the two years before Miami. He, the first year he won MVP, he lost in the conference finals. Second year he won MVP, I think, against Boston. In the second round, he got bounced. You know, so are we expecting a Giannis departure after this series if they lose? I know you'd like it if it went to the Warriors. No, I really wouldn't. Let me explain that real quickly. I'm glad you brought that up. I don't want Giannis to come to the Warriors because that means we either have to get rid of Klay Thompson or Draymond Green. And I don't want the Warriors to break up their core, right? I I like the number two pick. I think if you get Wiseman, it's fine. If you get someone like Obi Topin or so, anybody, it's fine. You know, like add some youth to the culture and let let's start building from the draft again. I don't. I also don't think Giannis is like a good fit for the Warriors. Like, I'd rather have someone like, like, I'd rather have Vucevic fitting in the Warriors offense than Giannis right now. It would be too much to build your offense around, yes, two-time MVP, defensive player of the year. Great. They don't need to do it. No, I feel that. Yeah, I just think Giannis is one of the best players in the league, but for some reason in the playoffs, when you need somebody to score, it's like even last season and this season, he hasn't improved that much. Like, you were talking about how if Giannis had Bam's form, if Giannis had your form, I think your form is better than Giannis. Nobody form. wants my form, trust me. This is this is an inside joke because you, you guys haven't seen how Shree shoots. Used but. to shoot. Used to shoot. It's used gotten shoot. better, but it's still bad. It's that That's Giannis's form, essentially. It's gotten better, but it's still bad. You know, so he reminds me a lot, actually, of Patrick Mahomes because Patrick Mahomes, he, he talked about, he said he didn't learn how to read defenses until like halfway through this past season. So like in his first two years in the league, you know, MVP one year, didn't win MVP the next year, but you know, won the Super Bowl. But like I still think like they're both raw 
young and can develop way more. And I think their potential is through the roof. I think they have super high potential, both of them. I just think Giannis needs to work really hard this offseason. No, you're super right. I love the Mahomes-Giannis comparison. The thing is, they're so... They're like diametrically opposed in what they have nailed down, right? Like Giannis has the the physical tools, and I think he reads defense as well. Like it's not that like he always makes the right reads, he makes good passes, and he he's like a force of nature. The thing that hasn't come is like the finesse game, and that's like the jump shot, you know, the 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 being smart about drawing fouls. That hasn't come to him, the pump fake game and everything. Mahomes has the finesse game and the like the deep throws and the the slant routes, he has everything down. That's not his issue. I mean, and you can like nitpick and say he doesn't really know how to read defenses properly until now. Well, that that was his own admission. That was his own. That's what he said. So. No, but like what amount he could read defenses was, I think, not as much of an issue considering his natural talent to throw the ball. Like, the fact that he has Tyreek Hill on his team to, like, bail him out with, like, deep throws. And I don't even... I think bailout is harsh because, like, it takes two to make that play. Like, Mahomes having the arm to just, like, gun it downfield 60 yards, right? But it's scary, one, that Mahomes has more to learn as a quarterback. It's also scary that Giannis has more to learn because he's already such a great player. But I think his weaknesses are more glaring than what Mahomes has shown so far. Yeah. And I think if the Bucks or you're a Bucks fan, you should be concerned. Because I don't see how, I, like, it just maybe if Giannis goes off, but like, I mean, for for me, it's difficult to think that the Bucks can come back the way they've been playing right now from this two-zero hold. They need to really play on a different level. Yeah, last year Milwaukee, I remember they were up two-zero on Toronto, and they ended up losing the series in six. So. I know Raptors fans were worried when they were down 0-2 and Bucks fans right now are worried, but a lot of lot can happen in, in the bubble, as we've seen. And I just want to really quickly touch up on the other Eastern Conference series, the Boston-Toronto matchup, which a lot of people are excited about. Great players on both sides. Two of the deepest teams in the league. And one the I, I just want to say one thing about this series, right? Like It shows that they're missing Kawhi Leonard, Toronto, right? Pascal is a great player. I think he's a perfect number two option on a championship team. I don't think you can win a championship if he is your primary guy. I'm just really mad at the Raptors. I think in both games, they had so many opportunities to, especially game two, they were in the lead in the fourth quarter. They just could not hit a shot for their lives in the entire fourth quarter. They were not clutch at all. The entire fourth quarter was just so frustrating to watch. Seeing them, Marcus Smart hit like five threes in the fourth quarter. And the Raptors, Kyle Lowry couldn't hit a single three. Like Fred Van Fleet, like not one three. Like not even afraid of a three. Like a single shot in general. That really made me mad because I really thought going into it, oh yeah, the Raptors can win this. So, you know, for the Raptors-Celtics series, I think the Raptors shouldn't be as concerned. They just need to do what they're doing and just like hit a... Like if they hit four or five more shots, I think they would have won the game. It was really like the series is a lot closer than the 2-0 compared to the Buck series where I think the 2-0 like it's it's a lot further of a series than I think the 2-0 says it is. I think the the Celtics Raptors series is a lot closer series than it should be or a lot further series than it should be. I think the Raptors should win one of the next two games. I hope they win their next two games because it's a close series. Uh, well, we'll see what happens. No, you're right because the the Raptors played great defense in game two. Like Jason Tatum was the only real player to like get untracked they held Kemba in check until the very end but Lowry I just think needs to assert himself a little more he's always been passive he defers to start games that's why I was so surprised in 2019 in the finals where in that closeout game he just took control like I think he had like 15 points in the first quarter something crazy like that he needs to have that mentality again like he needs to realize that there's no Kawhi Leonard to bail you out Siakam is fantastic you can depend on him but not over depend on him the way you could on Kawhi and there's been a lot of memes with Siakam and Giannis, like the two best players on the two best teams. And there's like a silverback gorilla just like spinning in a zoo cage. And that's their go-to move. Again, disrespectful, but not wrong. The both of those two players rely so much on post-ups and brute strength to get to the rim. Siakam has that little more finesse game, but it's tough, man. The, the, the bubble is really chaotic. 
But I think the bubble provides a great atmosphere for basketball, and we've seen almost every single game, if not every single game, be a great game of basketball. So that about wraps up this episode of the Locked In Podcast. Really hope you guys enjoyed us talking about the playoffs, the NBA playoffs, which are again happening in the bubble, which is delivering us from some fantastic entertainment and some extremely close games. And both of us are really excited to see how the rest of the teams will fare, what's going to happen with the Bucks, Will they falter? Will they get swept by Miami, the team with the best record in the league? We will find out so much more to come. Uh, from our end, there's so much more to come as well. We will be doing a deep dive into the NFL, be doing uh, an NFL conference-by-conference conference preview before the season starts in around nine days. So the season starts. We'll be putting out that out before the season starts. So a lot of sports to look into. Maybe we'll even touch on the NHL playoffs or the MLB the Giants are surprisingly, they're 8-2 and two in their last 10 games. And the A's, best record in the AL West. I was just going to say, both our teams have been doing really well. Quick thing, how was your 23-run outburst yesterday? I really, really, I was so surprised. I watched like half that game. I, I watched the first half of the game until the fourth inning, and they were doing I, and then Yaz had this amazing catch, and then the runs came pouring in. Granted, we were at Coros Field, so the runs should be pouring in, but... Really, really happy. Uh, the Giants are really winning their games now, which is great. Granted, they've been playing some really bad teams, but still, they're winning their games, which is good. They're still only third, though, in the in the NL West, but quite competitive with the Padres and the Dodgers. Uh, but lots more to come from our end, so stay tuned for that. Sports has returned and has been really, really busy. It kept us both busy, always on the TV watching the playoffs or the playoffs or the regular season. And so hopefully college football and NFL continue to happen. Like hopefully, you know, God willing that there's no outbreaks or anything and all teams are able to stay healthy and safe uh, in non-bubble situations. But we'll see what happens. Yep. Um, at least from our end, follow us on our website, www.lockedinpod.com. Follow us on Instagram. <laughs> We're going to start doing some Twitch podcasts soon. So y'all can inter- interact with us on that. We'll, we'll figure some stuff out. We have a lot of sports to talk about, a lot of coverage. Yeah. And as always, stay safe, wash your hands. Wash your hands, people. Peace.